0: This is week number seven of a series that we're doing. We're covering the whole summer and we're calling it The Summer on the Mount. And we're looking at the first message ever preached by Jesus that's covered in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, six, and seven. As a matter of fact, if you decided to jump on an airplane, you go to Hartsfield, Jackson, and you decided to buy a ticket to Tel Aviv, Israel, you could be to Israel at the airport in about 15 hours from Atlanta. Uh, airtime, by the way. Once you get to Tel Aviv, you're going to hire a taxi or buy a ticket to the train or get on a bus, and you'll go about an hour and a half to two hours to the north side, the northern bank of the Sea of Galilee to a town called Capernaum. And if you read about that in the New Testament, this is where Peter and Andrew are from, Capernaum. It's where they spend a lot of their time fishing and cleaning out their nets. Uh, Capernaum is also the place where Jesus healed uh, Peter's uh, Uh, sick or ill mother-in-law. Come on. It's also where he raised up a paralytic and brought life to those limbs. But when you get to Capernaum, you're going to see a hillside there. And this hillside is the approximate location of where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. He used the design of of the mountains and the architect of the sea uh, to amplify his voice. They didn't have a microphone and a sound system back there. And he was strategically located on the hillside. And for three days, 72 hours, Jesus began to preach. He began to teach. His public ministry was now launched. And in his first sermon ever, he talked about the principles of the kingdom of God. And he talked about the internal behaviors and the external behaviors of what a true follower of Jesus would look like, what a true disciple of Jesus would look like. Now, if you gave me one sentence to explain what the whole Sermon on the Mount was about or is about, I would define it this way. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in, in, three, in those three chapters, over those three days, that being a Christian is not just about what's happening on the inside. But being a Christian is also about how we treat people. Okay, three of you said amen. I don't know, some of you have lived a lot younger or shorter than I have, some of you have lived a lot longer than I have, but I don't know of a time that we've ever forgotten how to treat other people more than the time we're living in. And Jesus is saying 2,000 years ago that it's not just about what happens on the inside, but it's about how you treat other people. And that applies obviously to the inside of us, to our heart and to our soul, but the same is true about this building. It's not just about what happens on the inside. It's about what we do and how we behave when we get on the outside of this building and we take what we've learned and then put it into real-time practice by the way that we treat other people. Now, the first two chapters that we've covered is Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, and we see a lot of the conversation in Jesus' message about that internal working, but in Matthew 7, there's a transition that happens here. Now Jesus is gonna talk directly about how we treat other people. So if you have your Bible, Matthew seven, beginning in verse number one, if you don't have your scripture, it's not a problem. I'll show you here on the screen. Uh, And if if you feel okay to do this, it's six verses. Could we read this together? Online as well, Germantown as well. Let's read this together. We'll we'll start reading our cadence on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. Now let's stop right there for a moment. I've heard somebody say to me before, well, I I ain't going to go church, it's full of hypocrites. And I just wanna set the record straight. This is not a church full of hypocrites. We always got room for one more. Come on, somebody, right? Let's keep reading. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Last verse. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. I want to pray for you. Before I pray for you, I want you to see three thoughts The Holy Spirit revealed to my heart to share with you today based out of these six verses. I encourage you to write notes. There's a sermon card in the seat back right in front of you. If you're using your smartphone, open up the apps, the notes apps, take some notes, put it on airplane mode so you don't get distracted with text messages and social media, but take some notes. Here's the themes I see. Don't judge others, do judge yourself, use good judgment. Repeat after me, don't judge others, do judge yourself, Use good judgment. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pastor this church. It's a a highlight of my life. Thank you for the calling to preach your word. It's the joy of my heart. I've wrestled with this message this week. God, you know that because the Spirit of God has convicted me. I'm not in the greatest place to teach people about not judging others. I've been overly judgmental lately. I've repented of that and still doing so. So maybe this message would be a how to overcome that by seeing my own mistakes and faults. God, I I pray, and I know this is true, your word never returns void but I pray that ears and hearts would be open and receptive. (laughs) This is not an easy message by any means, but at the same time, it's one that's needed. If we are representatives of Christ, if we are ambassadors of Christ, for those who have said yes to Jesus, we have a responsibility to treat people fairly and to treat people with respect and genuine humility. So God, help us, show us something in my own life, in the lives of those listening, God. And when we walk out of here, may the Spirit of God and that transformational power do a work in us that is seen outside of us. And so God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of your heart, my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. And together the church said amen. Let's just give Jesus the highest praise. Come on, let's do that together. I love it. Let, let's have a conversation today on these three ideas and themes. Let's start with the first one, if you're taking notes. We're going to talk about in Matthew 7, verse 1, where Jesus says, don't judge others. I believe, and this is just my experience, for those that are not a part of the family of God, they've not accepted Jesus as Lord, they don't have a relationship with, with Christ, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, is probably the most weaponized verse in the entire scripture, and all of the Bible. So people that are not of this faith, they've not said yes to the Lord, they will use Matthew chapter seven, verse number one, as a rebuttal to any type of conversation, to any type of hard truth, to any type of accountability. And those that are not in relationship with God, anytime you try to confront them on an area of sin, they'll say, well, judge not lest you be judged. Now, I will say this, and I want to unpack this particular verse here, um, that those individuals are taking this out of context significantly. What Jesus is not telling us in his first sermon is that you and I are prohibited from providing godly accountability. It's not what he's saying. So I want to make sure we set the record straight there. If Jesus was saying, don't ever give people accountability, don't ever tell people the truth, then he would contradict himself in the very same sermon just a few verses later. Here's what Jesus says in addition to this thought. He says, first, somebody shout first. So before you go, you know, pointing fingers, before you go having conversations about everybody else's business and sin and issues, he says, first, get rid of that log that's in your own eye. And then he says, what? Then. So once you handle your own business, Once you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck that's in your friend's eye. So, what Jesus is not saying is is that you don't have the responsibility at times, and we'll talk about this in the next 35 minutes here, but that at times you don't have the responsibility to, to tell love, to teach love, to show love, to give hard truth, to provide accountability. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 1 is it's all about your motives. It's all about the motives of that hard conversation. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here. And again, I say that with great caution because this is going to shock you, but I wasn't there over 2,000 years ago. So I know I got the gray in my beard, but I wasn't on the mountain when Jesus was preaching his first sermon. But he's saying, check your motives here. Let me tell you what I believe Jesus would say. That when you find a difference with someone, watch this, your opinion, your opinion doesn't matter. And let me tell you, we live in a world of social media where everybody now has a platform to share their opinions. And I would just caution you with the way that you respond and the way that you engage online activity, online activity, because what are the motives? I can't tell you how many times in the last 16 months or more I have typed, copied, and deleted responses that I felt, well, they just need to know the truth. (laughs) Right? The Lord is saying, wait, before you engage... Make sure that you've removed that log from your own eye before you go engaging in the speck of sin in other people's eyes. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is rebuking the spirit in which we deal with people. What's the heart behind the reason you want to call them out on the lifestyle or the choices? What's the purpose that you want to have that face-to-face, that confrontational and a lot of times we don't even want a conversation. We just want to argue our side because we want to win. Is that the heart behind those hard conversations? is, well, I want to be right and I want to show and prove that I'm right. Jesus is rebuking that spirit. And he says, work out your own issues. And then when you accept the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, you'll be able to have a conversation with humility. Come on now, with humility, because that humility is leading you to holiness, Here's something that I've learned and am still learning. God didn't assign us to be the Christian police. Hello? Walking around with our Christian badge on. Walking around with our Christian baton in hand. Walking around with our Christian whistle just so we can... (laughs) Foul! Sinner! Before God called me to be a pastor, uh, and my mom knows this to be true firsthand, I, I... desperately desired to be a police officer. So I took some criminal justice courses and began the process of application to the police academy and you know just in God's, you know, different plan and design led me a different way. And some of you are sitting there thinking, eh, hey, you should have been a cop, you know, but <laughs> why are you judging? Huh? Why are you judging? But God called me into full-time ministry, but and then that's been years ago. I mean years and years ago. But even now when I'm driving in the car and my kids are with me, when Kimberly's with me. There comes a moment where I feel the need to help other drivers become better drivers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I've told you this before, that my wife, as a term of endearment, she calls me Jake. So she, my family gave me that nickname years, and it's a term of endearment Jake. So we be driving down the road, and I just feel it impressed upon my heart to give someone a little courteous honk. Has anybody ever done that? You know, sometimes it's elongated honk. Simply because they're being idiots and morons. Can I just, somebody testify? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not making this up. And Kimberly will say to me, some of y'all were real happy, You're like, exactly, Pastor, you know? But Kimberly will say to me, Jake, you are not a cop. You are not the police. Let them just drive. And I'm like, okay, first of all, they need to be taught the right way to drive. And there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And then you add some ammunition to that frustration. We lived in the Northeast for five years, and if you're not an aggressive driver in the Northeast, you will die. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know that live there? You know that to be true. God didn't assign us to be the Christian police, the Jesus police, to walk around calling out everybody's wrongdoing, and, you know, to call out everybody's issues, and to call out everybody's sins, and to argue with every social media response, and to engage in every divisive conversation at work, and, to talk about the neighbors that live in our cul-de-sac. You're not the Christian police. So Jesus isn't saying that there isn't an appropriate time to have an honest conversation with somebody. He's just saying before you engage, you better make sure that you've taken the log out of your own eye or they're going to have a pretty good argument that you are a hypocrite, that you're being hypocritical. Here's what we got to do. We've got to stop seeing the worst in people. and This is the world that we live in. Our judgmental, critical spirit forces us to see the worst in people instead of first trying to see the best in people. Stop pointing the finger at everybody else. You learned this in elementary school, that when you point one finger at somebody, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. And then we've got to stop allowing our insecurities, whether that's insecurity of jealousy or insecurity of of pride and arrogance or insecurity of rejection, whatever it could be, We've got to stop allowing that insecurity to cause us to treat people unfairly. Imagine it for the next 30 days. So when I dismiss you today from your campus, you're gonna walk out of here and on your way out, one of our great Go Team volunteers is gonna stop you and they're gonna duct tape a tape recorder to your chest. Now some of you are sitting here, the millennials thinking, what is a tape recorder? So we we duct tape an iPhone, And for the next 30 days, Siri records your conversations. For 30 days, this tape recorder is recording all of your words and your judgmental words towards other people for 30 days. Then at the end of the 30 days, we press play from this stage and let everybody hear everything that you said judgmentally about everybody else. What would your response be? Would you be mortified and humiliated because of all of the unfair criticism? Or would you stand up here and say, give me 30 more days, I got more to say. Come on. (laughs) I mean, imagine if that was recorded. And I'm telling you, I've been working through this message because it's been a little tough season for me. I, I have been openly critical and openly judgmental of some people. And earlier in the week when I was praying and fasting for this message I heard the Lord ask me a question and it stung me so bad that I thought I'm going to ask it to all of you because I don't want to feel that pain by myself. Come on. And here's a question that the Lord asked me and I want to ask you this. Why does somebody else's behavior bother you so badly? Why does what somebody else is doing get under your skin so bad? Why, why does their choices and their life and their social media, and their weekend activities, and their social participation, why does all that bother you? Bless God, it's heaven and hell. Okay. But are you just using that to be Christian police? Because if that was the real motive, then you would pray for them more than you gossip about them. Now, God gave me a TV to use for technology purposes and then also to hide behind it sometimes when I feel threatened. So, (laughs) why does it bother you so bad what they do? I can't talk about you, I can only talk about me. I'm gonna tell you my response to the Lord was, you know, well, it's what they do that bothers me. And then the Lord said, really? What they do bothers you? And truth be told, it's not what they do, it's why they do it. That's why it bothers me. Not what they do, but why they do what they do. The problem is is this, I can see what they do, but I'll never know the motive or the heart behind why they do it. I can only assume. And so now I've created my own narrative about that person or that individual or that family or or that child or, or that mother or that pastor or that business owner based off of what I see them do and why I think it is that they're doing what it is they're actually doing. Does that make sense? Let me give you a story to all together. A couple of years ago, I'm sitting in the, uh, in the barber shop, and I love to get my hair cut. Getting my hair cut is incredibly therapeutic for me. Every Thursday, I get my hair cut. And some of you might think, man, that's a lot. Why are you judging me on how many times I get my hair cut? <laughs> you don't know why I do it. I'll tell you why. It's, just, it's counseling for me. It's therapeutic for me. So every Thursday, I go, a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm sitting in the barber chair of, 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 of the barber shop, and this, this lady walks in, and she's got three boys with her. I don't think any of them were out of middle school age, so middle school and maybe two elementary school kids, and the two older kids got their hair cut first, and, man, they they were fantastic. Behavior was on point, and, I mean, they did such a good job that their barber gave them a lollipop. So I told my barber, I'm here every Thursday. Where's my lollipop? And then the third child got in the chair. He was a handful, kicking, screaming. At one time, he swung at his mother, I mean, and it was, it was a scene. It was a scene. Well, the barbershop that I go to, how do I say this politically correct? I'm the only white person there. <laughs> so my barber says to me, oh, no, this ain't, this ain't how we do it. I didn't grow up like this. Now, he's saying this to my ear, and I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> Have you ever been in that moment? It's just like you just look straight, and he goes, and he, call, he calls me pastor. He's like, pastor, I'm going to say something. Something got to be said. And I told him, I said, let's make a deal. Finish cutting my hair first. (laughs) And then you say whatever you got to say. I'm just going to pay you. I'll tip you better if you win this haircut right now. He's like, no, I got to say something. He walks over, bypasses the mother, goes straight to the kid, snatches the kid's arm. And he says, you listen to me, young man, don't you ever. And he just begins to rattle off behavior. Don't you ever. You need to learn respect. If you were my child, if you were my son, I would never allow. And he looked at her and he said, you need to get him straight. Well, the haircut finished. It was the most awkward haircut I've ever had in my life. Uh, She gets her boys. they, They pay and walk out. And within a moment or two, my haircut, thanks be to God, finished. And I walk out. I pay and walk out. She's loading her kids in the car. And as I'm running to my car, I look down and she dropped her earring. And there was a part of me that was like, it's just an earring. I don't want to be involved in all this. <laughs> but I heard the Lord say, she needs encouragement. So I picked up the earring, and I walked to the car, and I said to her, I said, ma'am, I said, you know, you dropped your earring. I said, but this is more than the earring. I just want to tell you, you're doing, you're doing a great job. A great job. Now, I can, I, don't know her, I don't know her story. I don't know. Listen, she could have been happily married for 25 years. I felt impressed that maybe she was a single mom single moms have a special place in my heart because that was my upbringing and my mom worked really hard to provide for us and i just said ma'am you're doing a great job and i'm telling you the waterworks began she's just crying and crying she's like you have no idea how much i needed to hear that and she says you know i've got great boys she said but my youngest boy watch is highly autistic now think about that. You, some of you, you journey that with your children or grandchildren. Many of you know about autism depending on the severity or the degree of it. What's some triggers for autism? Bright lights? What's a barber shop? Sensitive to touch? Yes. The only way, uh, let me, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. This is free advice, by the way. If you go to a barber or a salon, they should be touching your hair. If they're not, find a different barber. Can I get a witness from anybody, all right? And the noise. So all this environment was a perfect storm for this little boy. And on the outside, it was very easy for us to judge and to be critical. And we've all done that, and we've been there because of what we saw. We had no idea why the behavior was that way. Does that make sense to anybody? Not just what we saw. But why? I remember in March of 2015, I loaded my family up in our little SUV that we owned at the time, and I get on I-270. We were living in Clarksburg, Maryland, and I've got to go about 25 miles south towards D.C. to get to Silver Spring. So I load up my family, strap them in the car, and I get on I-270, and I'm going 90 to nothing. I throw my hazards on, and I'm weaving in and out of traffic, and I'm honking at people, and people are honking at me. Three guys waved back at me with one finger. Hello, can I get a witness? And I'm cutting people off left and right, and I'm going as fast as I can. I'm driving so fast, that little Dodge Nitro's front end was just shaking like that, and I'm going to get to Silver Spring. Why? Because my wife's water broke, and she's in labor, and I got to get her to the hospital. And there wasn't anything or anybody gonna keep me from getting my girl to the hospital to give me a baby girl. And I was just wondering, this is just, I'm just preaching to myself, y'all enjoy this, okay? How many times are we so angry at a person that cuts somebody off? And immediately we think the worst. Maybe there's a medical emergency. And maybe statistically that's far and few between, but at the end of the day the question is this, why does their behavior bother you so bad? Write this thought down. And this is a filter, by the way. If you want to say something to someone because, well, they need to hear it. and God has chosen me to tell them. Don't say it. Your motives are impure. Your heart is bitter. You're coming from a place of frustration and rage. You're hangry. Come on now. You're lacking sleep. If, if the motive behind, well, I'm going to tell them because, you know what? They need to hear it. Bless God. Please don't say it. Especially online. You, you have never won an argument on Facebook. Nobody has ever private messaged you and said, you know what? The way that you attacked that other individual that voted for the other political party Open my eyes to profound revelation as to why your party is the right party for me and for my household and for generations to come. Thank God you were online today. I am better because of your post. <laughs> Nonsense. Your perspective on the vaccine, wow. And the links of all of the statistics of the conspiracy theories or why it works. Thank you for the knowledge that you have given to me because I didn't know. Well, they need to hear it. Listen, wrong motive. But if you don't want to say something and you're asking God, God, please pick somebody else. This is a hard conversation. Then you need to say it. Because the heart behind the why is pure. And even when you engage, even when you take that plank out of your own eye and now you're going to engage in a conversation with an individual who's self-destructing, Even And this isn't on the TV, but you need to write this down. Even then, you approach that conversation with these thoughts. Write them down. Truth, respect, and gentle humility. Somebody say amen to that. You approach that conversation with truth because it's truth that sets us free. But you do it with great respect. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So our heart to confront them, our heart to have a conversation with them is based out of our own experience, that it is Christ who has set us free. And if God can set me free, if God can help me take the sin out of my life, God can do the same for you. Give me 200 people that would agree with that preaching right there. My heart to tell you is so that you know that there is a better way. And a better way is through a man named Jesus. Anybody love Jesus here today? That's why we do what we do we don't approach them because we want to be right. So, here's what we're learning. Don't judge others. you got to walk very, very carefully because first, you do judge yourself. Now, this is a hilarious illustration that Jesus gives. I, I, I want you, I want you to, to see again what he says, uh, picking up in verse number three. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Verse 4. How can you think of saying to your friend, you know what, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? And we read this a moment ago. First, get rid of the log in your eye. Then you will see clearly enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Imagine this. Jesus is talking about logs and sawdust and toothpicks and it's like you're seeing all these little things but yet you can't see past the own issue in your heart let me show you because it's it's a hilarious illustration (laughs) hey buddy yeah you got sin in your life (laughs) hey bud i just want to be a good friend you got a toothpick right there in your eye why do, you, why do you think non-believers call us hypocrites? Here's what I'm learning. And again, I'm just having, I'm having my own preaching time up here for me. This is very liberating. <laughs> Here's what I've learned about JC. The thing that bothers me the most about other people, the thing that I'm most critical over, the thing that I'm most judgmental over, is usually the thing that I'm dealing with the most. Well, I'm not going to put all my junk out there, so I'm just going to use some of your examples. Can you believe their marriage? Can you believe you just yelled at your wife this morning? You yelled at your husband last night. Can you believe them? Um, can you believe the addiction in their life? <sighs> While you're smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Can you, can you believe them? Can you believe that they bought that house? Can you believe they dropped? I don't know why I'm talking like Karen right now. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Can you believe them? OMG. I learned about Karen from the barber. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I had to ask, who is this Karen? He's like, let me tell you about Karen and tell you about Karen. So the Karens are like, can you, can you believe they, they bought and yet you're in overwhelming debt? If they were my children, well, you got your own kids and they're disrespectful and they got bad attitudes and they need a whipping too. I'm not, I'm not judging, by the way. I'm just preaching right now. <laughs> Some of you are going to use that all week. You're going to want to say something. You'll be like, you know what? I'm, not, I'm about to say something, but I'm not judging. Listen. Take the plank out of your own eye before you start lamb blasting somebody for the toothpick in theirs. Now, I know that's not popular preaching, but it's good preaching. Come on and agree with that. Come on. Uh, here's, Here's what Jesus is saying, and again, not trying to take his words out of context and certainly not trying to add to a sermon, but deal with your own issues before you go meddling in somebody else's. Deal with your own family dysfunction before you offer an opinion on how somebody else's family could have great peace. Deal with your own heart, with your own sins. Start there. Jesus is saying, you better, you better do an assessment of your own life before you jump in knee deep or waist deep in conversation with someone that you feel like, well, they just need to know the truth. It is, it is a shame of how blind we are to the areas in our own life, but how good we are at spotting out the little areas in everybody else's. I'm almost done preaching. Hang in there. I don't know. I better be careful because I'll step into the flesh and get on a soapbox. I'm just going to come back to JC. We got so much stuff in my own life and my own family. I don't have enough time to get in your business. It just amazes me how much free time Christians have. I mean, do you ever get online and it's the same people always posting, always responding, always arguing, always... It's like, where do they have the time for that? If you just step back and you pause and you say, okay, Lord, before, before I go looking for a fight, let me take care of the quarrel in my own heart and home. Before I go looking for beef... Let me just make sure that things here and here are good. Listen, the reality is is that we've got the free time to meddle in everybody else's business because we refuse to attack the sin in our own life. Do you get that? And when you stand before God one day, and we all will, on the day of our judgment, you won't earn an honor badge because you were great Jesus police. He's like, hey, way to go. You really told them. No, they'll look in the Lamb's book of life to see your, if your name is written and you will be held accountable for every one of your actions, your words, and your deeds. Are you with me? So deal with your own issues. Deal with your own problems. Deal with your own sin. And then if you've got time after all that, then have at it. Get on Facebook and tell the world your opinion. Until then, shh. <laughs> somebody look at somebody and say, shh. You, and you, you, some of you are really exaggerating that. I don't know who you're sitting next to. You're like, shh, shh. If you ain't care, don't finish that thought, by the way. I'm going to tell you right now. Don't judge others. Come on to the music. We're done. Don't judge others. Do judge yourself. And then use good judgment. Verse six of all six of these verses, to me, by the way, is the most confusing. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in to pieces. Uh, who is Jesus referencing as dogs and, and pigs? Okay, let's make sure we all are on the same page here. Jesus is not devaluing a particular ethnicity or a nationality, nor is he condemning a particular socioeconomic class. He's not putting down women, which in this day and age, women women and children were incredibly devalued. Jesus is referencing a group of individuals as dogs and pigs because it's that group that is hostile towards him. It's people that will never turn their heart to God. They will always wage war with God. And what he's saying in this verse is, be very careful Be very careful to give dogs what is holy or to give what is sacred like a pearl to a pig now go back a couple thousand years ago a couple thousand years ago there's a lot of things that I don't know about Jesus obviously but one thing I can guarantee is that Jesus never bought a two thousand dollar golden doodle I'm just gonna tell you that right now it didn't happen now in America we have you know just evolved in our love towards our animals you know, but back in this day, uh, dogs and pigs, they were scavengers. They weren't pets. And some of y'all, some of y'all are a little extreme with your love for your animals. I'm just going, you need to hear that. I'm not judging you. I mean, we got, we got our little dog. I remember when I was a kid, remember, remember dad's mom and she had that little dog? What was that dog's name? Pashi, Posh, Poochie, Pookie? anyway my grandmother would let that dog lick sweet tea from her glass and y'all like oh you let your dog kiss you in the mouth little pookie just cleaned his rear end and now he's gonna come give you a kiss on the mouth and you know what you say well his mouth is cleaner than yours then brush your teeth my god and what do we think we're like i don't know how this covid thing came around to your dog who am I preaching to today? That dog, man, I, and I love it, but listen, it's Pookie. Pookie's nasty, fleas and all that. And crawly, Come lay in my bed. But I wasn't like that in Jesus' day. You think about a pig? Pigs are nasty, man. We grew up in the farm, didn't we? Pigs are, they live in this pig pen, and you know, they, they eat the slop, and they, they waller in the mud, and Listen, if you've ever been in a pig pen, it stinks and there's gnats and maggots. It's, it's nasty. Now, y'all still gonna eat some bacon. Come on, somebody. And if you're like, if you'll stop preaching, I'll get to the Waffle House real quick. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you would never, you would never allow a dog to eat Perina food from your grandmother's fine china. That doesn't make sense. not going to let a dog eat from something expensive, nor would you allow something sacred to you. Let's say like a, and by the way, this isn't the cost of this jacket, but a $2,000 suit, you're not going to clean the pig's pen with something expensive like pearls. And he's saying, so what is more, what is more worthy and holy than, than God's word? And he says, if you're not careful, you will waste that on people that will never engage in a real conversation so another way that i would say it is this way some people are never going to be open to anything about god never so don't continue to exhaust your energy and your effort on them let let me say it like this stop shoving jesus down their throat and just be jesus with skin on Stop preaching to them about all the sin that they're caught up in and just be the love of Jesus to them. Be a helping hand to them. Let them see Jesus in you instead of you preaching Jesus to them. That's what he's saying. And watch this. And you know this. And there have been great casualties, plural, casualties along the way of people that, man, they, they weren't turned on to God before we started preaching down their throat. But now we have hurt them. We've hurt them because you won't stop. You won't stop. You're like, but they need Jesus, and all they see back is this. Well, that's your Jesus? I'm gonna say something here too, and I didn't tell the first gathering this because I don't love them as much as I love you. (laughs) You be careful how you talk about go church to people. You ought to come to my church. I want people to come. But you are an example of this body of Christ. And listen to me. If you say yes to Jesus... Jesus calls us to a higher standard of living. Now, we're not perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. There is only one who is perfect. His name is Jesus. But when we come into relationship with God, he gives us the person and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can rise above temptation. Come on, church. We can rise above addiction. We can rise above sin. We can rise above it all. And we can live a life worthy of example and follow. stop? Stop fighting with your coworkers. I, let me give you these thoughts. I'm done. I promise you. But instead of telling your coworker that they're going to burn and go to hell, what if you just picked up their overtime shift? Hey, I got you this week, and I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that for you. Instead of talking about your neighbors and all that, I can't believe them, and I can't believe Fall's coming. Thank God for fall. Come on. What if you walk across the street and say, you know what? I'd like to help you rake your leaves. I'll babysit your children so you guys can go on a date. What if you stopped seeing the worst in them and you just said, you know what, I'm not going to keep preaching to them. I'm just going to let my life be an example, knowing that what God has done in me, God can do in anybody. Put your hands together if that's a testimony of your life. Come on. Alright. Don't judge others. You judge yourself. Use good judgment. Repeat after me. Don't judge others. Do judge yourself. Use good judgment. Now, we preach in series here. We don't preach in sermons. So we'll combine consecutive thoughts and turn them into a series. So my sermon series are usually titled, like, for example, Summer on the Mount. So the sermons within them usually don't have an individual title. But if this were a standalone message, I would title this whole message this watch out for logs and don't waste time on dogs come on church watch out for logs and don't waste time on dogs closing questions here am I aware you're asking yourself this as much as I'm asking myself this am I aware of the sin in my own life of the issues in my own life of the areas in my own life (laughs) of the plank? yeah in my own life. And then, whenever I address the speck of sin in someone else's life, how how genuinely pure are my motives with that? Is it right time, right tone, right temperature? That makes sense? Or is it full of anger and hatred? And I need to say it, so I'm gonna say it. Come on, church take care of the plank, and then when you have the authority from God to have that conversation, you do it with truth, respect, and gentle humility.